tonight, I want to just acknowledge Adi for leading worship on his birthday. He asked me specifically to make a big deal of him this morning. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Um, I did ask him to sing happy birthday for himself, but he wasn't willing to do that. Um, but Adi, we really are grateful, my man, just for your incredible sacrifice to this body. Uh, we really do appreciate you, man. Um, and on that note, I want to also just invite anyone who has not uh, ever put their hand up for uh, sound and media for church. If there is an area that you are looking to contribute, um, just saying to yourself, actually, I do want to bring something to this body. Uh, we are looking for guys to put their hand up for that. And so please uh, come and speak to Celeste. And Ellie said, Justine, where's Celeste? There, Celeste over there. Um, otherwise, you can get hold of Liberty Church uh, on the WhatsApp groups, um, and we will send your details across to Celeste. Um, and with no further ado, can I invite Matthew up, who's going to be opening the word for us. And I will pray for us as he does that. And so, Heavenly Father, uh, without your Spirit, uh, we are incapable of understanding the truth of this gospel. Um, and so, while we may be a heavily praying church, Lord, we can never pray enough. We can never come to you enough to say, God, open our hearts to your word. Everything inside of us wants to make life about ourselves, and God, uh, we require great humility in order to say, you know what, we don't have this all together. We need the gospel to change us. And so God, we ask that this morning in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Can you hear me now? Working? Cool. Good morning, everybody. You all staying cool, alive? Oh my gosh, yesterday was hectic, so I'm grateful for some, a little bit of cool breeze. Um, I'm excited to be sharing with you today. Um, I found last week's Sunday very encouraging. Glenn preached from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Epaphras had brought the gospel um, to this particular church uh, or to the city and a church was born. And later on, Epaphras goes back to Paul and to Timothy and brings them news. Hey, this is what's been happening here. People have embraced the gospel. This is how they're doing. And, and Paul's so excited by this news that he writes a letter to them and he says, man, I'm so excited to hear of your faith and your love. I'm so excited to hear that the gospel is growing in you, just like it's growing in the whole world. And then he prays for them and he tells them, or he, he prays that, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord. And that's great. Hey, what, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? What a great prayer. God, fill me with the knowledge of your will that I can live a life worthy of you. Please, so what does living a life worthy of God look like? Pleasing God in every way by bearing fruits of good works, growing in the knowledge of God, patiently enduring, and giving thanks to the Father. I mean, that sounds doable in a way. It doesn't sound super spiritual. I'm really encouraged by a message like that. So this morning I want to share from a portion of Scripture in Galatians. And so Paul gets word of a church with a different set of problems. And so he, he writes to them a different letter, sort of trying to encourage them. Um, and so a little bit of context. I think there's a, there's a map. There we go. Um, I'm going to stand back. Hopefully it still works. So, so Jesus was ministering primarily in this area here. Um, and so he is born into the Jewish nation, primarily ministering to people who are Jewish by upbringing, Jewish in culture, uh, generations, that way of thinking really ingrained, to them, ingrained in them. And so the first followers of Jesus are primarily Jewish. 
Um, but what happens is that Jesus encourages his followers after his death and resurrection. He says, I want you to go out. I want you to preach the gospel all over the place. And so what happens is that the gospel goes out all over the place. And so we start moving away from Jewish nation and we start moving up and out into other cultures, other people groups who don't have the Jewish way of thinking, who don't have that cultural background, who don't have uh, those lenses, that way of, of seeing the world. And so Paul uh, is one of those converts as the gospel starts to go out. And so after a couple of years, he goes to Jerusalem, meets with some of the apostles over there. He's threatened by some of the Jewish leaders with death. So he gets out and he goes back to his hometown. So he, he moves way up and he goes all the way back to Tarsus over here. And guess what he does in Tarsus? Well, he preaches the gospel. Do you know what happens? Is people start believing in Jesus. And the church starts to grow. At the same time, the church in Antioch is getting huge. And so we have a guy by the name of Barnabas who starts to like, I need help. And so he reaches out to Paul in Tarsus and he says, would you, would you come and help? Teach and preach. I need help. So after two years, he says, all right, off he goes and preaches and teaches together with Barnabas in Antioch. Church is growing. Then the Holy Spirit sets the two of them apart and says, I want you to go out and I want you to bring this gospel even further. So that's what they do. And they head off from Antioch, go off to Cyprus. They move up into this area here. And then we've got three cities in a region called Galatia. It's like a province in a way, I guess. And so we've got three cities. And so, so, so now the gospel is growing. The church is growing. And they're very much non-Jewish. And so this message comes back to some of the believers in Jerusalem and they're, they're faced with a bit of a, a, bit of a problem, right? Um, can one be a Christian and still do very un-Jewish things? Now, how does that work? Because up till now, everybody that's a Christian has a very Jewish way of doing things, a very Jewish way of seeing things. And I have to do the law and I have to do all of these things. And, and so, so what happens is that some Jews are saying, ah, 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 you've got to do these things to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to be these things and follow these cultural trends if you want to be a Christian. And so now this starts to become a problem. And so Paul, Paul travels to all of these churches, establishes them, comes back, and then he gets word from them that they're starting to behave in a way that is not in line with the gospel. And so he pens this letter to these churches. We get the book of Galatians and he's writing to me saying, why, why are you starting to try to get to God by doing all of these other things? Why are you seeking to be justified in a different way? And so one of the, the first things I want to say to us is that it is our job as pastors, it's our job as Christians to encourage one another to keep our lives in line with the truth of the gospel. Because every culture that we live in, doesn't matter what time period, it doesn't matter where, if we're in China, if we're in Somerset West, South Africa, if we are in Ghana, if we are in Chile, if we are in America, wherever it is, the culture of the day needs to be confronted by the gospel. It must be confronted by the gospel. And so there are some things in the culture that it's going to be very easy for us to live out the gospel, but there are some other things 
But the culture of the day, the place where you live, they're going to value certain things. That's not in line with the gospel. And the culture is going to expect you to value those same things. To be a decent person, you need to live like this. To be an acceptable person, you need to live like that. And if you don't, you are a threat to my culture. You are a threat to the way of seeing things. And so there will be pressure on churches in different places to bring themselves into line with the value system of the culture. And so Paul is writing to this church to say, your conduct is not in line with the gospel. You are trying to do certain things to find acceptance that's not in line with the gospel. And these things can be very, very hard. And so we pick up in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I don't want to take a verse completely out of context. The context is they're, they're trying to, they're, they're receiving the pressure of these are the things that you need to do to be good people. These are the things that you need to do to be acceptable by God. And Paul's saying, baloney. Well, he didn't say baloney, but right? he's saying, don't do that. Keep your lives in line with the gospel. Galatians 2 verse 20. Maybe you've heard this before. He writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why are you trying to do other things to be accepted by God? Why are you trying to do other things to be accepted by people? Those things that y'all are doing are not in line with the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, the, the first thing I want to point out here is, or dig into is I've been crucified with Christ. Right? Paul here is describing the state of a Christian. He's not describing the experience of a Christian. What, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Have you ever thought about it? This is one of those verses where like, ooh, that's a famous Christian verse. I'm going to put it on a mug, get a t-shirt, I don't know, a little bookmark for my Bible, whatever it is. Have you stopped to think about this? What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? I have been crucified with Christ. Firstly, I want to say what it's not is it's not an experience. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Secondly, it's not something that you have to do. There's nothing to do here. And thirdly, it's not something so much that's happened to you, but it has happened to Christ. Crucifixion has happened to Christ. And because if you've put your faith in Jesus, then it means you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, in a way, you have been crucified with Him. And so I, I, I don't want to try and sound fancy. I'm going to quote one or two people. It's more like I want you to hear this is not my idea. There are some people uh, more mature than me, and I'm going to lean on them, and I want you to feel the weightiness of this truth just by leaning on a couple of guys. So, so one commentator, Douglas Moo. I just love that name. That's probably why I did Douglas Moo. Anyway, right, he writes this. The spiritual state of believers is the product of their real identification with Christ in the redemptive acts of his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Right, to be crucified with Christ, then, does not mean that believers undergo metaphorical crucifixion, similar to Christ's actual crucifixion, but that believers are regarded by God as having hung on the cross with Christ. 
Hey, believers are regarded by God as having hung on the cross with Christ. And so the imagery is intended to highlight a decisive and total transfer from one state to another. I am crucified with Christ. Christ was crucified. I've put my faith in Him. God looks at me, God looks at you, and regards you as having hung on the cross with Christ. You died. Christ died, you died. God regards you as having received full punishment. Full punishment for your sin, for your rebellion against God, for turning away from Him. Everything that you've done that you feel guilty about, God regards that as totally and utterly having happened. And so to be crucified with Christ is not something I experience. It's not something I need to do. It happened to Jesus And God regards me as having hung on the cross with Christ. Additionally, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Note that once Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead, he didn't go back to his old state. There was a new state. There was a a newness about him. And his job and his connection with God was now different. He didn't go back to the old. And something similar happens to a Christian, after being crucified with Christ, we are in a new position forever. The old position is gone. We don't go back to the old. We don't go back to the old way of thinking. We don't go back to the old cultures, the old ways of being accepted, the old things that we think are valuable. We don't go back to those old ways. The identity I had because of the culture and my belief systems is dead because I've been crucified with Christ. You are finished with condemnation. You no longer belong to the fallen human race. The person you once were has gone forever if we have been crucified with Christ. This positional change has got nothing to do with maturing in your faith. It's got nothing to do with growing in grace, growing in anything. This has happened. It's done. It's finished. It's what you once were. This is what you now are. Total and utter. I love that. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have a new state that is crucified with Christ. God looks at you and regards you as having hung on that cross with Jesus. Wow. But then Paul doesn't stop there. Could have, but he he doesn't. There's, There's more to this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I died, I'm crucified with Christ, I'm not living, Christ lives in me. There is Jesus, resurrection power, new life, living inside of you. Two weeks ago, I tried to make the point from Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by, anyone? My Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We get to live by the Spirit of God, not by our own strength. And the Spirit of God... It's God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul says that we are temples. What's a temple? That's a place where God dwells. You're the temple. You're the temple. You're the temple. You're the temple. God lives in you. But also the Spirit, the promise of the Father, He promised the Holy Spirit, also lives in you. And here Paul is saying, Jesus lives in me. It's not like I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Hey, Father, Son, Spirit, all of God, not attributes of all of God dwelling in me. 
connection with God. New life, new power, new way of being, new desires, new will. Man, I'm not living anymore, but Christ lives in me. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you're dead. You are dead. But, but there's new life inside of you as well. It's Christ himself. God himself. The Spirit himself living in you. Then Paul continues. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body. Wait, 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 wait. You just said you died. But now you're talking about living. How is this possible? How can we say, I died. Jesus lives in me and I'm living. Does anyone feel the contradiction there? Can you see that? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a contradiction, but it's, it's not the old you, it's a new you. Old you died, new you is alive because Jesus is inside of you. It, this is a mysterious thing. This is a wonderful thing, kind of like a limb being in a body. I am attached to Christ and Christ is attached to me. Well, it's more like this. We've been saying Christ is in you, but we've also been saying you're in Christ. Hey, I am in Christ. Christ is in me. There's something amazing, something miraculous, something wonderful about this. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. There's, a, there's an intermingling here. And so I do live. I died. Jesus is living in me. And I, and I also do live. How do I live? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. I'm so grateful he added that little bit. I live by faith in the Son of God. He could have put a full stop. I live by faith in the Son of God. By the way, he loves me and he gave himself for me. Hey? Martin Luther writes this about this passage. Paul has a peculiar style, a celestial way of speaking, right? He's kind of up there in the, in the heavens. I live, he says. I live not. I'm dead. I'm not dead. I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I have the law. I have no law. When we look at ourselves, we find plenty of sin. But when we look at Christ, we have no sin. Faith connects you so intimately with Christ that he and you become, as it were, one person. That's a privilege. That's a truth. That's an incredible privilege. You and God connected together so intimately, almost like a single person. As such, says Martin Luther, you may boldly say, I am now one with Christ. Therefore, Christ's righteousness and his victory and his life are mine. On the other hand, Christ may say, I am that big sinner. His sins and his death are mine because he is joined to me and I to him. Guys, come on. This is something special here. This is something that should be bubbling up inside of us. We can't fall asleep to this. This this is incredible. So Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How's your faith feeling? It's feeling big? Well, here's the thing. My little bit of faith, my little weak faith, I live by faith in His big faithfulness. His big love for me. His big giving himself for me. I'm trusting in that. It's weak. It's broken. I I struggle. But you know what? I'm putting my little bit of faith into God's big faithfulness. 
God's big love, His big actions for me. My faith and trust is that He has dealt fully with my sin on the cross. Not partially. Not, not partial. There's the temptation to think sometimes, yes, God's done it, but I've got to sort this out before. No, not before. He has dealt with your sin. My faith and trust is that He has given me the righteousness of Jesus. Let's just clarify something here. Christians cannot be arrogant. We cannot be arrogant. Tell me about your righteousness. Is it any righteousness of your own? No, zero. Nothing. But Matt is such a righteous... No. Glenn. Surely Glenn. No. Glenn has this much righteousness of his own. This much. Nothing. Where does it come from? It's the righteousness of Jesus attributed to him. What about you? Oh, it's the same. The righteousness of Jesus given to you. You put your trust in that. Humility. Zero arrogance. Nothing. But what a sense of confidence we get to have. What a sense of a sigh of relief and at the same time confidence to go to God. It's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus given to you, given to me. He loves me. I put my faith in that. He gave himself for you. You put your faith in that. We live by that. And so you've put your faith in Jesus, you died. You've been crucified with Christ. It's not you living. It's Christ who lives in you. Could, do you feel like you can say that with confidence? It's worth taking this and going to the bank with this. It's worth taking this and going to God and say, God, I don't feel this, but this is what you're saying. You say I'm crucified with you. You say I'm dead. You say it's Christ living in me. And you say, I can live by faith in Christ's work. He loves me. Gave himself for me. His death, resurrection, and ascension. Whew. So part one of my message is, man, I just, I just want to encourage us. I just want to inspire us. If you're feeling like deflated, bummed, stressed out, this just feels so disconnected from your reality, man, it is my prayer that you will be able to take this. Galatians 2 verse 20. Go and sit with this. God, let this be real for me. God, I want this to be real for me. So we can go out into the world in confidence. Faith in God. Faith in the Son of God. He loves you. Gave Himself for you. It's not you. It's a new life. It's a new power. Now, some of us, I think, may be able to say, based on this, I'm so encouraged. I'm so strengthened. I, I want to go. I want to do this. But I know that some of us are saying, well, that's all very nice, but what must I do? <laughs> Give me some, how, put this into something tangible. Okay, part two. Here we go. Some of you are like, no, that's enough. Great. You can tap out. <laughs> I give you permission. Part two is, I, I just want to help put this into something practical. What can this look like? I want to talk about a tool, something that might help you put some of these things into practice. And if you like one or two of them and some others that you don't, that's fine. Basically harvest something, glean something here that is helpful for you. I want to urge us and encourage us to live our lives in line with the gospel. We're, we've died. It's not me anymore. The old ways of being accepted, the old ways of being valid in the world. No, 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 no. Jesus, 
I died with Him. I'm considered crucified with Him. And, and Christ lives in me and I've died, but I also have a new life. How can I do that? When I wake up in the morning, how can I do this? How can I live my day like this? You're in the boardroom. Something rough is going down. How do, how do I do this? How can I be in the boardroom being crucified and, and Christ living in me and, and me putting my faith and my trust in Him? How do I get to have a, a hard parenting moment living like this? How do, I, how do I live like this when I just got a whole whack of money that came my way? Good deal. I don't know. Whatever it is. I just got paid a lot of money. How do, how do, I, how do I do this? I'm in hospital right now. Matt, how do I do this? I want to offer you a tool. It's not, it's not a... Jesus didn't teach this. I'm trying to find practical ways to bring us back to this. Bring our minds and our hearts back to this space. So it's a little acronym. Some of you... I know have heard me uh, share this before. In the last, let's say, two years, I found this to be really helpful for myself. I just want to share it with you. It's a little acronym. It goes like this. APTAT. A-P-T-A-T. I don't know. APTAT. Somehow my brain remembers it. Yeah, you... you sorry? But that. <laughs> it could be. If, if that's going to work for you, that's great. Right. So, so, A, the first one is let's admit... Let's just admit that my old way of seeing things, my old way of doing things, my natural way of engaging with this world is not sufficient. I can't do it. I feel like I want to do a Star Trek, but at that accent, we don't want to do that, right? I can't do it. I just don't have the power. You know the one, okay? I can't do it. My perspective is limited. Your motives are selfish. Your wisdom is insufficient. I, this is a big one for me. I cannot create God. I cannot create an outcome that is of eternal value. I don't have the power to do that. God, I admit, can't do it. Only you can. I admit, I'm going to mess my kids up. If you don't get involved, God, I'm going to mess up this relationship. I'm going to blow this money in a way that's a complete waste of time, God. Help me. I admit, I cannot do it. The old me, the old way of doing things. Cultural norms, cultural values, whatever it is. The pressure on the people, from the people around me. I admit, God, nope, doesn't work. And then the next one is to pray. Now this is a posture of humility, isn't it? And so the, the next one, to pray, is like humility in action. God, I admit, I can't do it. Help me. <laughs> You can, I can't. I need help. Pray for the life of Christ to be in you. Pray for God's intervention. Pray for wisdom. Pray for the filling of the Spirit. Pray for spiritual gifts. I don't know, in that particular moment, maybe it's when you wake up in the day. Maybe it's in the boardroom. Maybe it's with your kids. You know what's really helpful is if you're having a little bit of conflict with kids, just press a pause. Your kids will get used to it. My parents are crazy. Okay, fine. Just hold on a second. What am I doing? I'm just stepping out. God, please help me. I can't do this. You can pray aloud. That's okay. It's called modeling. You get to model that to your kids. Right? And you come back. All right. I'm back with you. It's kind of like saying, old me, no. Get out of here. Christ's life. Help me. Okay. Now I've got to do something. Right? So, admit and pray. And the next one is, is trust. And I think this is closely linked to the P, so you could probably do an at-pat if you wanted to. You can shuffle them around. 
right? I'm going, to, I'm going to trust in God. But what I mean by trust is trust in a specific promise of God. I found this helpful because sometimes, you know, there can be the generalities of God is good, God is kind. I need help with my kids right now, God. I need help because the bank and God, you're good, but help me. And sometimes it's really helpful to have specific scriptures, promises of God to trust in because the promises of God are all over the Bible. And no, it's true. You don't want to take verses out of context and take promises that are not actually intended for you, but by and large, the, the scriptures are full of the promises of God. And the more you know the scriptures, the more promises there are floating around in your mind for the Holy Spirit to say, there it is, that one. Hey, the Holy Spirit's able to bring to mind, because that's what the, one of the things the Holy Spirit does, is he brings to mind what Jesus has taught. And so if you are full of the word, the Spirit is able to work wonderful things inside of you. But what if you're not full of the word? What if, you, if you're saying, but this is, this is kind of new to me, Matt. I don't, any promise of God is totally worth it. Get one. Open your Bible. Ransack the scriptures looking for the promises of God. You find one, hold on to that. That's sufficient. to go. What a great place to start. Don't stop there. Keep going. It takes years and years and years and years. And then you get old and you forget some of them. And then you relearn them and you think, well, who put that in the Bible? I don't remember reading that. Yeah, just keep going. And, and, and so depending on your scenario, you're able to ask, Holy Spirit, please just help me to trust in you. I, I'm struggling here. Help me to trust in you. And then some of the scriptures can come to mind. Can I give you some examples? Scriptures that we can trust in. Are you guys doing okay? Are you with me? I know it's hot. Right? Isaiah 54 verse 10. A great example. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Right? Mountains around you are crumbling. Your world, the things that are stable and never change, it's now crumbling around you. God, what is happening? I don't understand what's going on. I'm freaking out. And God says, my unfailing love for you is not going to be shaken. Your world's crumbling. I love you. It's never going to change. I'm with you. I will never remove my covenant of peace from you. That's a cool promise to hold on to. God, I'm freaking out. Or, I've been such a bad person and look at the things that I've done and blah. I love you. I love you. God, are you sure? Yes, I love you. That's a cool passage, a cool promise to hold on to. John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. Yet all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. You sometimes feel like an illegitimate Christian. I don't belong to this group of Christians. I don't, don't deserve God's love. No, 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 no. If you believe in Jesus, you've been given a right to be called a child of God. You are born by the Spirit of God. You, you don't earn that right. God gives it to you. You have the right because you put your faith in Jesus. That's a cool promise to hold on to. I am your child. Put my trust in that. I can't do this, God. I'm praying for your help. And 
that, spirit, that, that, that scripture comes to mind. You are a child. You have the right to be a child of God. If you need that in that moment, what a great truth to trust in. Matthew 6 verse 31, Jesus is teaching and he says, So don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. What's the promise? God knows you need it. Seek first the kingdom. What does he say? These will also come. Get your perspectives right. Trust in God. Seek His way. God will provide for you. That's a cool promise. To trust in. Last one. Last one. This is one of my favorite ones. So the letter to the Hebrews, what the the author has done here is he's taken two Old Testament promises and he's applied them to a particular scenario. So we've got Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 and Psalm 118 verse 6 and then he's applied it to money. So Hebrews 13, verse 5 to 6, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? How, how can I do this? Because God has said, quote, here's a promise from Deuteronomy, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. There's a promise. God, I'm freaking out here. Bank balances, debt, credit cards. God's never going to leave you or forsake you. And so we get to say with confidence, and then he, then he brings in Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I mean, it sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? But can you see what he's doing there? He's taking the promises and he's applying it to don't freak out about money. Trust in the promises of God. Beautiful. I admit, God, I can't do it. Please help me. I'm going, to, I'm going to trust in your promises, God. I'm going to trust in your promises. And then what do you do? Then it's time to act. It's time to actually do something. Not tap out. God, you... No, no. Very often, God says, you go. I'll go with you. Now you need to do something. Now you need to engage in that boardroom discussion. Now you need to deal with your child. Now you need to forgive that person. Now you need to let go of that relationship that you really want but you just feel like God's been saying it's enough now now you need to connect with someone that you feel like God's been saying connect with them and you haven't I don't know how and it's it's, ah, God now now I actually have to do something now I need to let go of that thing now I need to pick that thing up whatever I need to go through this difficult situation do it but you've humbled yourself you've prayed you're trusting in God and now you act APTA Now we act, trusting that God is going to do His work. And then finally, afterwards, thank God. Remember remember that that scripture, it's the the five uh, men who are are sick, uh, what's our skin disease? Leprosy. Leprosy. And and they come to Jesus and He prays for them. Off they go and and they find they've been healed. And one dude comes back to Jesus. Jesus says, what, what, weren't all of you healed? Why are you the only one who's come back? I don't want to be like those other guys. I want to be like that one person that comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when you act, you're so aware of the presence of God, the grace of God. Sometimes situations turn around and you're like, wow, God, only you could have done that. And sometimes things go pear-shaped. Sometimes it feels like God's a million miles away. 
And that's part of faith as well. Sometimes we get to feel God, and sometimes we don't. And so afterwards, whew, that board meeting was rough. That, did not, that was a horrible outcome, God. But thank you for being with me. Thank you that you are at work. Even though I don't perceive it, God, you are there. Thank you that I'm yours. Thank you that I'm safe. Whatever it is, thank God. Outcome you wanted, outcome you didn't want. Do you trust God to have been working? Do you trust God to have heard your prayers? Do you trust God that maybe His answer is not what you want, but it's the better answer? Whatever it is. God, you're at work. I feel like I'm dying here, God. God's at work. He hasn't left you. He'll never leave you. never forsake you. I'm trusting in that. God, I'm going to thank you for that. So, aptat. How do I live that it's no longer I who, who lives, but Christ who lives in me? How do I live in such a way that I'm crucified with Christ? How do I live in such a way that it's, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me? And you may have some other ideas, you may have some experiences, but I'm, I'm really hoping that some of these things are little tangible, practical things that you can actually do in those moments just to, to bring us back to being in line, bring our conduct in line with the gospel, bring our hearts back into line with the truth of what God has done. Bring our minds back to the place. Oh, yes, I'm trying to do it again by myself. Okay, God, it's you. Little practical tools that we get to live. Not us, but Christ who lives in us. I'm really hoping that that is helpful. And so what, what I want to do is that, what a wonderful opportunity for us to take communion. Right? So we're going to take the bread and the cup. That, that bread that we break is a reminder that Christ was broken for us, His body broken for us, on the cross. That juice reminds us of His blood shed for us. And one of the great things, I'm so grateful that God chose a symbol that we actually consume and it becomes a part of us. In me. And Christ is in me and I am in Christ. And we are intermingled together somehow with this new life. So what a great opportunity for us to strengthen our faith by doing this. How am I living? What, by what strength am I trying to live? By what power am I trying to achieve these things? Are these things even worthwhile running after? What a, what a great opportunity for us to analyze our lives, analyze our space. What a great opportunity for us to forgive someone. It's been so hard to forgive by being reminded of how much we've been forgiven. How can I not forgive if Christ has forgiven me of so much? The Father has forgiven me of so much. And, and what a great opportunity to say afresh, God, I can't, I can't, I admit, I can't do this. I need your help. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in the work of Jesus. I'm trusting that I belong to you. And so I invite you to go and get some bread and some juice. I think they've been spread around the room. And to come back to your seats. And I'd love for us, if you're comfortable, for us to all do this together and to prayerfully work through this. And after that, we'll pray.
One of, one of the dangers of doing something regularly is that we go into autopilot mode. We can go into neutral. We can just do. We can just eat bread and drink juice. That's just what we do. So I want to encourage you to get out of neutral if you've accidentally slipped into that and be present, be mindful of what it is that we're doing. I'm going to give an invitation here. If, as I've been speaking, you've been listening and, and you've thought to yourself, I don't think I'm in Christ. And I don't think that Christ is in me. I think I've been doing this just because this is what everyone around me has been doing. But this is not something I myself have done. I myself have not put my faith in Christ. If that's something that you want to do, I invite you to pray a very simple prayer. There's nothing that you need to do. This will cost you nothing. But at the same time, I want to caution you, it will cost you everything. Because it's no longer you who will be living. It's not your life anymore. You're giving it away. But you get to live by the power of another. That's something that you want to do. I invite you to pray a simple prayer. God, I admit that I've been living for myself and not for you. I admit I've done so much wrong. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me to deal with my sin and rebellion. And I ask for the new life of Jesus. You know what? If you prayed that, he promised that new life. It's yours now. Your state, your position is changed entirely forever now. Perhaps you feel like you have gone into autopilot mode. Perhaps you've fallen asleep to some of these truths and these realities. I want to encourage you, even as we're praying, to pray just simple prayers of recommitment, coming back to the Lord. God, wake me up to these wonderful realities. And so, Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. We thank you for the resurrection life of Jesus for us as we've put our faith and our trust in you. We want to remember the body of Jesus broken for us. Thank you, God, that you look at Jesus on the cross and you see us with him. So we want to identify with Christ as we eat this bread. Thank you for your body broken, Jesus. This juice, Jesus, represents your blood shed for us, the blood of a new covenant, promises made by the Father that our sin is totally dealt with and that we have a new identity, new life in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of sin. We ask that you would help us to forgive those who sin against us. We belong to you and we drink this juice now in remembrance of Jesus. So Father, you've done amazing things for us. You loved us. You sent Jesus for us so that anyone who believes in you would have new, eternal, resurrection life. God, we're all in such different places 
in life and what we're experiencing, the things in our relationship with you. God, lift our eyes. Stir fresh faith in us, I pray. Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for newness. Thank you that it's like getting out of a shower, feeling fresh and strong again. God, wash us anew with your Spirit. Wash us. Strengthen us. Fill us with your Spirit. Thank you for new life. Open our eyes once again to the wonderful truths found in Scripture. Your promises for us. Thank you that when we pray, we get to be straight in your presence. Then and there, in your presence. You hearing us. You delighting in us. Help us to keep our lives in line with the gospel. Help us to live in such a way that it's not us, but it's Christ who lives in us. Who gave himself for us and loves us. Help us to worship you now in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.